0: Praise the Lord. Amen. It is so good to be here. Isn't this a wonderful day to come to worship the Lord? Amen. The psalmist said, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in that. That lets us know that we can have a choice of whether or not we're going to rejoice and be glad today. And when you begin to think of the goodness of the Lord, His blessings, His favor, a friend that wrote a song and said, it shouldn't take much time for you to find something to shout about. Amen. God has been good to us, and I'm thankful for his blessings. And uh, it's just to uh, echo uh, what Rachel's just said, it's been such a pleasure to be here, and we have just been so blessed. It's been such an encouragement for us to come and meet brothers and sisters who love God, serving God, amen, in various contexts, and uh, just love the body of Christ. And I'm so thankful for the church, so thankful for you and your kindness and hospitality. And uh, we just love the butchers. It's been a pleasure to be with them. And I appreciate all of them and uh, their kindness toward us. and met several years back, and it's just been great to, to grow more of a friendship with them. And uh, I'm thankful uh, for this week, and it's just been a pleasure for us today. I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning from the Word of the Lord. Amen? How many knows the Word of the Lord is critical to our salvation? Man. There's a time where Peter said, where else do we go? You alone have the words of life. And if you're interested in life, at least eternal life, amen. it's only found through the Word of God. And I want to read from Galatians, the fifth chapter, beginning with verse 16. I'm going to read about ten verses of Scripture. From Galatians, the fifth chapter. The Word of the Lord says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, And you shall not fulfill the lust or the desires of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. Notice this. So that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. This is not the exhaustive list. It's saying things of this nature and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, both on this world and the world to come. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another in being one another. Notice... It says, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust or the desires of the flesh. The flesh, verse 17, desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. They're contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Amen. Verse 24 again, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Uh, I I read, in fact, in another translation, the 16th verse of Galatians says it like this. I advise you to live according to your new life in the Spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Craves. I want to talk to you about something uh, that is a theme throughout Scripture today, from the very beginning. It is a theme. And it is about food. Food. What a great thing to talk about on a Sunday morning before lunch. Uh, I had a little breakfast this week. I usually typically don't, so I'm, I'm good to go for a couple hours at least. Uh, but if you haven't had breakfast, you'll probably be hungry before we're done. <laughs> the Bible says in Matthew 4, and this is a story of Jesus, says Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> yes. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread, food. When, when you fast and you decide to set apart, what is the first thing you tend to think about in the morning? Food. Food. You know, if you go on to fast, there's been times when I was fasting and me and separating myself from food, my flesh doesn't like it at all, (laughs) at all. This is one of the more difficult things that I would ever do. And um, in the morning, you know that you have been fasting a little long when you're brushing your teeth and you start to think, "Will I lose credit if I actually swallow the toothpaste or... Or should I go ahead and spit it out? You know you've been fasting a little too long when you have to make that kind of moral decision when you are fasting. But the Bible tells this story about Jesus, and it's an interesting story that we'll, we'll talk about. The Bible says, though, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and there he is without food. Now, when we read the Bible... Numbers have great significance in the Scripture. You see themes throughout the Scripture that, that numbers uh, uh, represent signify. When I, when I say one, we would think of the Godhead, that there is one God. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one A God, is absolutely one. He is one God. Or when I say the number three, we would think about the death, the burial, the resurrection. We would think about Jonah who was in the belly of the whale for three days. In fact, in the New Testament, the Bible lets us know that that was an example of Jesus Christ who would be in the belly of the earth for three days before He would come in a resurrected. So we know what three would represent. Or seven, which represents completion and wholeness. And so the seven churches of Revelation, it's not just talking about seven individual churches, but it's a message for the whole church, the complete church. Uh, There's seven days in a week, and on the seventh day, completion, fulfillment. And so we see these things throughout the Scripture, especially in a in a uh, a verbal society, an oral society, that the Bible was. Uh Talks about before they had the scriptures like we have. It was an oral society, and so they would memorize large chunks of the scripture. In fact, the law and the prophets, they would start, they would hear it over and over again. And of course, numbers help you even to remember different stories and different things that are taking place. But one such number that we see throughout the scriptures is the number of 40. If I were to say 40, there should be several. Things in the Bible that come to mind. In fact, Noah and the Ark. We we think about Noah and the Ark and the Great Flood. We think about Moses going up on to Mount Sinai, where he is there for forty days and forty nights in order to receive the Law. When we talk about forty, Israel was in the wilderness for forty years, and then Jesus is in the wilderness for forty days. And so we see some of these patterns throughout the Scriptures about 40 and and so the the original audiences when they would hear these numbers they would put these stories together it, it was a literary device uh, that would help them to put stories together as well that was how they were taught how they taught scripture how they memorized uh oral portions of the scripture and corinthians says it like this even for us today in the new testament second corinthians 10 and 11 that All of these things happened to them as examples. They were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages has come. Paul is saying to the Corinthians that when we read the Scriptures and we read these stories, they have been brought together for us. That they provide an example for us. They teach us about God and about His ways and about His nature. That we learn from the Scriptures. That's why it's so important that we do what we're doing today. That we sit down and we open up the Word of God and we begin to speak it and to read it and talk about it. Because what happened years ago and even uh, uh, thousands of years ago can be instructive for us today to know how to please God and how to walk with God. So if you go all the way back to the beginning, let's go all the way back to Genesis 1. The Bible lets us know, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let us have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him, male and female, He created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So if we go all the way back to the very beginning that God started providing this record for us of time and history for us to learn about him, we have to go back to Genesis and to the garden. The Bible lets us know that when man was created, he was created in the image of God. He was created, not only that, he was created to have dominion Dominion comes from the word dominate, to be in control. It's also kingdom, it's king's dominion. It's an area where a king rules, where his word is law. And the Bible says that mankind was created to have dominion, that we were not to be brought under the power of anything the only one that we're to be brought under the power of is the Holy Ghost, is the Spirit of God, not the things of this world. In fact, that's one of the difficult things about this world and about sin. That's one of the curses, when the curse of the earth that took place, is all of a sudden man became under the power and the authority of even the created things. Even when it talks about the herbs, it talks about the different created things. We see even to this day where mankind sometimes has submitted control and dominion of their life and they're under the control of alcohol and drugs and other created things that are on this earth. Can I tell you that that's not how God created your life to be? He created not for you being under the dominion of the things of this world, under the different sins and things happen. He created that there would be only one king in your life, only one ruler of your life, and that would be God. That everything else we are to have power over. I want you to understand today that the things that we struggle with on this earth, God's desire for your life is that you be delivered and that you have power over anything in this earth that you would not be under its power or authority, but that you would serve the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. That's God's will. That's how God designed us. He created us in His image with power and dominion. He blessed them. He he blessed them and gave them purpose. He blessed them as his own special creation. They were set apart from every other created thing on the earth. Every other animal, they were the ones who were created in his image. They were the ones that he breathed and gave the breath of life, and they became living souls. And he gave them a purpose. Their purpose was they were to be fruitful and to multiply, they were to subdue and have dominion over the other things of the earth, they were to be stewards, they were to care. And guide for. That's what God called them to do. So we've got to get this straight. That from the very beginning when God created man. He created him in his image and his likeness. And he looked and he says this is very, very good. And he said I've given you power over all of the things of this earth. You're not to be brought under subjection to it. You're not to be brought in the captivity of it. You are to rule and reign on this earth. That's what God's plan was for us. But something happened. Genesis 3 says it like this. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you may not eat from any tree in the garden? Now notice what the conversation is about. It's about food. Very first conversation starts out. Did God say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat. Fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you'll die. You'll not die, the serpent says. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked. They sewed big leaves together and make coverings for themselves. God created them and gave them power. and Everything is good. They're living uh, in relationship with God. God would come daily and in the cool of the day walk with them. So they've got a relationship with God. They've got a relationship with one another. Adam and Eve, he's found a helpmate because nothing else in the world was suitable to be a proper helpmate to him, to be in relationship with them. They have power. They have dominion. And the serpent comes. And the serpent, the first thing he talks about is, let's, let's talk about food. Let's talk about this tree. Did God really say that you could not eat of the fruit of the tree? And he begins to talk to her and tempt her about this forbidden fruit. He says the day that you eat of it, you'll actually be like God. He says you'll have wisdom. And he's not talking about the wisdom that comes from God. He's talking about wisdom outside of God. You see, there's not one negative word in the Scripture about knowledge and wisdom as long as it's in alignment and comes from God. But the Bible does warn us about the wisdom of this world, the knowledge of this world, and lets us know that it will destroy us. That's why we don't go outside to understand how to live life. We go to the Word of God and the Spirit of God. It says, I've got to hear from the Lord. I, I can't take what this world says. That's why the Scripture says, let God be true and let every man be a liar and so he starts tempting her and she sees the fruit and she says you know what it actually looks really good and not only that I could be like God and all of this deception that takes place because of it and that's why it's dangerous to open your ear to the things of our world because you see deception feels just like revelation feels identically like res- revelation but didn't you're not deceived deception feels that way but the problem was is she opened her ear to the serpent rather than to the lord and that's why in our lives it's very important who we listen to that's why it's important who our friends are as young people we've got to be careful who we put around us because the people that speak into our lives will shape us and they will determine our future that's why we've got to say you know when it comes to the important things of life god's put a pastor in my life god's put a church in my life god's put a youth pastor God's put people in my life and those, the Word of God and those people that God has put in my life those are the ones I will listen to I I could save someone's life right now those are the people I will listen to but the people that are not living for God that have not surrendered to God those are not the ones I give my ear to because if you listen long enough all of a sudden you'll start responding and so what do they do? very first sin when we talk about sin and all the ramifications it started with a bite a bite of fruit and adam and eve failed what god had called them to do they forfeited the blessings of god for a curse they had it all we look back In our day and time we said, oh, if we had a world where there was no sin, if we had a world that we had just a relationship with God and one another and there was no sin, there was no iniquity, there was none of the results of sin that we see in the world today, wouldn't that be great? They had it all and they forfeited it for a bite to eat. Time would go by. What started as a family, and we see families going up to about Genesis 12, then it focuses on a family called Abraham. And by the time Genesis is done, it is a family from 70 that's become a nation called Israel. A nation called Israel. And we find that they are in bondage. And God is going to bring out His people. And oh, we love to talk about the deliverance from Egypt. When God brought them out of Egypt where they had been slaves and servants. And what a great time it was when God brought them out. Does anybody get excited when we begin to talk about God bringing somebody out of captivity and out of slavery and out of bondage? In fact, hopefully many of us can relate to that today. We remember when we were slaves and bondage to sin in this world and, and he set us free in fact sometimes we even sing that song he set us free he set us free and if you're here today and you're saying that sounds foreign to me i i still feel bound by sins i still feel bound by this world i want you to know you're in the right place because today he can set you free through the power of the spirit And so God brings them out. This is the exodus or the departure. And look at 1 Corinthians 10, 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate of the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. Paul begins to record that even though they've had servants and slaves that that God, Jehovah, brought them out of bondage, brought them out of Egypt and he says that in fact it is a type of being born again. He says when he brought them through the water uh, symbolizing being baptized in the name of Jesus, the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He he brought them through the water in the cloud, a symbolism of being baptized of the Holy Spirit when we receive the Spirit of God and begin to speak in a tongue that we do not understand he says he brought them out he delivered them they came through the cloud and they came through the sea and they ate one of the very first things it talks about when they are delivered is eating and drinking but here he says they ate of that same spiritual food and they drank of that spiritual drink god has called israel out And when he called them out, the reason he called them out is where Adam and Eve failed their purpose. He calls Israel out. And Israel is to be representative of being in a relationship with God. They are to be now the chosen nation. They are now the blessed people of God. They are now to be representative to the whole world where the whole world can see what it's like when you're in a relationship with God. And He brings them out through the cloud and through the sea. And you know what you need to survive in the wilderness? You need food. So the Bible lets us know that God provides for them in the wilderness. That all of a sudden, manna comes up. And and then when they're thirsty, water comes out of a rock. And God sustains them in a wilderness where there was no food and there was no water. God provides for them. God takes care of them. And He puts food on the table for them. The journey in the wilderness. It is here, though, that a conversation takes place. Exodus 16 and 3. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now now get this. Adam and Eve, they're created from dust, breath of life. Where do they get tripped up with? Food. Food. The temptation. The only thing that God withheld, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If God hadn't put that there, they wouldn't have even had a choice. He gives them a choice whether or not they want to live for Him or not. He brings Israel through the cloud, through the sea, delivers them from slavery and servanthood. and, And He's out there and He's providing them manna to eat and water to drink. And they start to grumble and complain. And what is their complaint about? Food. Oh, the pots of meat. The bread that we ate to the full. And you've come to kill us with hunger. It centers around food. And they get out there. And they said, it's not enough just what the Lord has provided for us. They about, they even talk about organizing and going back because they remember the leeks and the onions and the different food that they had in Egypt. They get tired of the manna that the Lord is providing and so the Lord sends quail till it comes out of their nostrils. So much quail because they wanted to the meet. But was that enough? No, no, no. They continue to complain and it centers around food. Around food. And in Deuteronomy eight. Deuteronomy is the second law, duo, two, Moses is given his farewell address. This is very important. And he's looking back at the end of his leadership. He's looking back over Israel's past. And he's he's reminding them of the lessons that they've learned. He's giving them warnings because he doesn't want them to fall out of the way. Those 20 and above would die in the wilderness. And so it's sort of Moses' last chance to say, hey, let's get this right. I, I'm going to be with the Lord, but I want you and your children, and your grandchildren. I want the nation to, to survive and thrive. And so I want to give you a last few warnings. Can you imagine if you were giving your family the final? You knew it was your final address. You wanted want to give them the greatest wisdom that you had to help them on this earth. And here's what Deuteronomy eight one says. Every commandment which I command you this day, must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. You shall remember that the Lord your God led you these way, these 40, 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. He humbled you, verse 3, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna that you did not know nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your feet, your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart as a man chases his son, the Lord chases you. Moses is giving this instruction that they might live and, and multiply the land and possess the promises of God. All that God has for them. The, this promised land. This great vision that they have. And he lets them know now that God led you through the wilderness to humble you and test you. And here's what he says. God lets you get hungry. He let you get hungry. So that you would understand... That we don't live by bread alone. That us getting so attached to what this world offers us, it can actually pull us off of serving Him. He says you don't live by bread alone, but by every word. From the Lord, He was wanting them to know if it comes down to it, don't follow what your flesh desires. Don't follow the cravings of your flesh. Listen and follow the word of God. because God can bring water of a rock, He can bring manna from the sky, He can cause the quail to fall at your feet, but you have to have the word of God. Don't allow your flesh. don't allow your flesh to direct your life. Because it was their flesh, Eve's flesh, that got Eve in trouble. It was Israel's flesh that got Israel in trouble. Life is not about satisfying the cravings of our flesh, as Paul would say. Life is not about when we get hungry for things, to, to look for those things around us to fill us up to the degree that we walk away from His Word or ignore His Word and His commands because it looks good. There was a slogan used in America some time back, very, very bad slogan. It said, if it feels good, do it. It was all about whatever your flesh desires, whatever you crave, whatever you're hungry for, go ahead and do it. Not, God, what do you want for my life? Because you're the only one that can bring me out. You're the only one that can set me free. You're the only one that can keep me. You're the only one that can take me to the promised land and to the promises and the blessings that you have for my life. I must hurry on. So now let's go back to our text in Matthew. Jesus, remember He's led by the spirit of the wilderness. He's tempted of the devil. He's fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And He is hungry Verse 3, the tempter came to Him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Jesus has been in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and He is hungry, and temptation comes to Him. Why is this so important? Because this is the New Testament. This is the start of a new day. You knew who else was in the wilderness, not for 40 days and 40 nights, but for 40 years? A nation called Israel. You know who else was tempted of by the devil? Here's what it says this that the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. You know who else was tempted by the serpent, by the devil? A lady called Eve was tempted going back to Genesis. And so this is really not even about Jesus as much as it is about all of time. That when the tempter came to Eve, she fell. When temptation came and they were hungry in the wilderness, Israel fell. And so now it comes to God. And the Bible says, God and flesh, Jesus Christ, that 40 days, He's in the wilderness, He's hungry. And the tempter comes to Him and says, Why don't you just go ahead, if if you are the Son of God, and turn these stones into bread. He was appealing to the desires of His flesh. He was the, the, the man, Christ Jesus. He, he was appealing to what he was happening. He was hungry. He desired things. He desired food, and no doubt he wanted to turn stones into bread, because if it wasn't a desire that he had, it wouldn't have actually been a temptation. The Bible says we are tempted when we are drawn away by the desires of our flesh. He's hungry. Sure, he wants to eat. Anybody would want to eat. But notice how Jesus responds. Matthew 4, 3, The tempter came, if you're the Son of God, command these stones to be bread. But he answered and said, It is is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of god you know what what Jesus was doing he was quoting the scriptures you know who he was quoting he was quoting Moses' address in Deuteronomy when Moses said hey we fell out of the way and the Lord allowed us to get hungry to test you but, but here's what I want you to remember we don't live by bread alone we live by the word of God we need that more than our natural food and Jesus on that day when the tempter comes and says no Eve might have fallen Israel might have fallen there might have been and others that gave in to the desires and the cravings of their flesh. but here's what I know: we don't live by bread alone. We've got to have the Word of God. I want somebody to understand today that the desires of your flesh will be active day in and day out. It will crave and it will desire things of this world. But there's got to get something in you that you understand, hey, we don't live by the things this world has to offer. We don't live by what seems attractive in this world. We live by the Word of God. God will keep us. God will sustain us. God will provide for us if we will trust the Lord. Jesus fulfilled what the first Adam failed, the last Adam fulfilled. What Israel failed, Jesus accomplished. Now notice even the events leading up to these 40 days of temptation. Matthew 3, 13, Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and beheld the heavens open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, a lightning upon him. And a voice came from the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus, the baptism, that he would fulfill all righteousness, that he would give us the proper model and example to follow, is baptized even though he was without sin. And after that, the Spirit comes upon him and says, notice this word, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's the word of the Lord. But notice when he's in the wilderness, and he's hungry, and 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, notice what the enemy says. The enemy comes up to Jesus and says, If you are. If. You are. If you are the Son of God. What did Jesus come up to Eve and say? Did God really say? Because what the enemy always wants to do, he always wants to put a question mark in your mind about the Word of God. The very thing that you need to sustain you to keep you, he wants you to question. Did God say that you could not eat of this tree? Yeah, God said it. But when she started listening to the enemy, she started to allow questions and doubt in her mind. Because you see, if you'll listen to something long enough, it'll cause you to question anything and anybody. And Jesus, at His baptism, I mean, this is dramatic. The Spirit comes like a dove and says, This is my beloved Son, This is who He is. And yet after 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness when He is hungry, what does the enemy try to do even with Jesus? It tries to put a question mark. It says, are you really the Son of God? (laughs) Trying to tempt Him. But John 8 lets us know what Jesus said. He says, you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him when he speaks a lie he speaks from his resources for he is a liar and the father of it here's what the Lord was letting us know this enemy this Satan the God of this world the Bible says he has been a liar and a deceiver from the very beginning and he is a murderer he goes out to steal to kill and to destroy but Jesus came that we might have life and life more abundantly oh I hope somebody will listen Listen to me tonight and say that God is calling us to come out from the world and be separate and say, God, my ear is to your spirit and to your word and to your body. I'm going to give my ear and heart to it. That the thing my flesh says you can't live without. Yes, you can live without it. The one thing you can't live without is the spirit of God and the word of God. Those are the things that you can't live without it. That's why every time, every Bible study, every Wednesday night, every Sunday morning, Sunday night, you know where I'm at? I'm at the house of God. Because there's some things I've got to make sure is coming into my heart. That's why every day I open up the Word and begin to read it. Because I've got to make sure that I'm living on the Word of God. Because there's a lot of messages out there that tries to put doubt in our minds, tries to criticize, tries to come against. And I realize that the people I've watched who have followed those first words, Those who I've watched who have listened. And they went out and they ate. I've seen the end. I've seen the judgment. I've seen the destruction in their lives. I've seen things fall apart. But I can go to elders now that I've watched for decades And they've been faithful to the things of God and they're serving God and their families and their relationships. And you know why? They made a choice a long time ago. You know who I'm going to listen to? You know what's table I'm going to eat? I'm going to eat at the table of the Lord. And so when the preacher comes and he offers what's on the table, we need to eat of it and put it in because it's meat for our bones. It's meat for our bones. And that's why God prepares tables for us. What happened when Daniel, they said, why don't you eat from the king's table? You, you'll be better off if you'll eat from the king's table. Daniel says, no, you just go ahead and test it. And he went and they ate the table of the Lord. And in the end, they were astounded because they said, it doesn't make sense. But you're healthier, you're stronger, you're better off. Can I tell you that that is still what the enemy says today and what we hear in our world. What are you doing eating always at the, the table of the Lord? Why don't you come out here? We've got some new exciting offerings for you to eat of. But the pastor gets up and starts to preach to teach the Word of God. Sometimes it doesn't taste as good because sometimes it's speaking right to where we're at. <laughs> at home we had to make a rule sometimes is that what mom cooks is what we're eating because i found out that the more we have in our family the more opinions we have over what we should have for dinner and i was like tell them the kids now mom and i don't know if this translates we call them short order cooks in the state where they would just cook something different for everybody and so i said mom is not a short order cook She just doesn't cook for what everybody wants. She determines what's best for us, what's healthy, what we need, and she puts it on the table, and that's what we're going to eat. Can I say to the church of the living God, when God speaks to Brother Butcher and God speaks to those who are coming to speak here, you need to understand the church is not a short order cook, this is not a cafe, this is not a buffet. There are too many people in their religious life that they want to go to a buffet. They want church to be a buffet where they go and they pick and choose what they want to eat and what they want to leave. But that's not what happens in the church of the living God. God speaks to the man of God. And He says, hey, this is what's for dinner today. I've got it from the Lord. But if you'll go ahead and take it in, it'll be strength to you. It'll be strength for the journey. It'll make you healthy. It'll keep your life together. Keep your life together because God knows what we need. So that's why the Bible lets us know. Paul warns us the flesh and the spirit, they're contrary to one another. He, he says they're opposite of one another. They don't go together, the flesh and the spirit. And you have to choose whose table you're going to eat at. And he says what we need to do is we need to deny our flesh. Deny our cravings. That's really what's so powerful about fasting. Fasting is not necessarily what happens with others. It's what happens inside of me. That I remind this body, I can live without you having your way. But I can't live without God having His way. It's just a reminder. And you see, in the Word of God, there's always this connection between the physical universe that we're in and the spiritual world. And it is any wonder that sin is connected to food and fruit in the beginning. And we see throughout the Scriptures, what was the Scripture showing us? It was showing us food is just a symbolism of the things of our world that we desire, that we go after, and sometimes we forsake the Lord in doing so. That's why Paul says, I die daily. He said to Titus, for the grace of God brings salvation as appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust or desires, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. He was warning Titus, you've got to deny the desires of your flesh. You've got to take up your cross and follow Him, is what the Bible says. That's the key to the gospel. You see, the second cross is just as important as the first cross. The first cross is the cross that Jesus died upon. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So there's nothing more important than that cross, except if you don't take up your cross and die, the effects of the first cross can't take place in your life. It's denying ourselves. It's what our flesh resists because our flesh is designed to go after its desires. And we live in a world that caters to the desires of our flesh. And Jesus said, I'm going to show you how to win and how to make it. I'm going to show you where they failed. Is man shall not live by bread alone what it desires. It lives by the Word of God. There's a Reginald III was a duke. The son of Reginald II. And as I, I'm closing... He was grossly overweight, he was massive, especially in this day we're talking about in the 1300s, Uh, even doors were not the same sizes as they are today and Reginald III was to such a degree that he, uh, I think, had to more squeeze through doorways rather than walk through them. And his father died and Reginald had a brother named Edward. And Reginald was supposed to have the throne, but Edward battled with him for succession. It became a battle, and in the end, Edward won the battle. And he took his brother Reginald, and he took him to the Newark castle, and there he built a room around his brother. Built a room around him to where he kept him captive. And he told his brother Reginald, the title, which is rightly yours, the throne, your lands, all your possessions, all of those things, I'll give to you when you leave this room. <laughs> but he, what he would do every day is Edward would send him a feast of food daily. Delicious foods. would take it to him and cater him as part of his daily regiment, his daily diet. And he would just feed them every day, and he said, when you leave this room, you can have the title, you can have the throne, you can have the lands, the properties. And people would attack Edward and say, you're so cruel to your brother. And Edward's response was, I'm not cruel. He can walk out anytime he wants to. Because you see, even though he built the room around him, he never locked the doors, never barred the windows. But Reginald would have had to lose weight to be able to get through the doorway. And so when people said, you're, you're keeping him captive, he said, he's not captive. He can walk out anytime he wants to. And you would think that Reginald, in such a situation, would have denied himself, sort of slimmed up a little bit like I need to, and walked through the door. But he didn't. In fact, Reginald got bigger. His brother Edward just kept sending him delicious foods and banquets of foods daily. And he got bigger. Eventually, eventually, the kingdom was under attack and his brother Edward died in battle. And they came to where Reginald was. They actually had to open up the wall. For him to get out because he couldn't fit through the door. He was larger than he had been. He lived just a few months. 1371. His health was so ruined that he died within a year himself. Even after the door, the wall had been opened up. You see what Edward was saying is I'm not holding him prisoner. He's a prisoner to his own appetites. He can walk out anytime he wants to. The door is not locked. The windows are not barred. But it's going to take him denying himself to be able to walk out. I stand here today to talk to you and say, you see, I see so many people that they're prisoners to their own appetites. The desires for the things of this world. And there's a message throughout the scripture that starts at the very beginning. That if we'll get it in our heart today, it'll save us a lot of time, a lot of pain and a heartache. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. It is time, if you find yourself captive to the things of this world, it's time to deny yourself, to take up your cross, to walk out free, to realize that whom the sun sets free, is free in deed, no longer bound, no longer captive but you do have to deny yourself you do have to crucify flesh would you stand with me thank you for your time for your attention no matter who you are today the fact of human nature is that if we struggle living for God it's because of something that are in, with our flesh the devil is very real I do not denounce that at all But he is a tempter. He is a tempter. The Bible lets us know that we are drawn away by our own desires. He tempts us, but it is our desires that cause us to wander that way. And every one of us has the power to come to the Lord at any time. He cannot withhold you. He doesn't have the power to keep you from repenting and serving the Lord and living for God. So while the devil does tempt And it's evil, and I do not want to be perceived in any way as making light. Let me tell you that the person that you struggle with the most is not the devil. It's the person you look in the mirror and see the reflection of. And the only answer, the only answer to winning that battle is to deny ourselves, to die daily, and say, God, I've learned that man does not live by bread alone but by the Word of God. I wonder if tonight, uh, today, if you would step out, you would come and find a place and make that commitment to say, God, I come to the altar today. I come in self-denial. I come to crucify flesh. Say, God, I don't want to be captive to my own desires. I don't want to be a prisoner to my own appetites, my own cravings. God, God. I want to feast and live on Your Word and Your way and Your principles. Would you stand out? God bless these who have come. Are there others that would come and say, God, I want to live on Your Word. I want to live on Your way, on Your wills. Hallelujah! I don't want to be a captive to flesh. I don't want to be captive to my cravings. I don't want to be a captive to my desires. I don't want to lose my walk with you for a taste of what our world has to offer. Lord, I've come to your table today. Is it any wonder heaven is compared to the marriage supper of the Lamb that on that day we're going to eat with Him what He has prepared? Oh, that's it. Let's talk to the Lord today. Let's call out to Him. Let's allow the Lord to have His way. God, I want to eat from your table. Lord, I want the bread of life comes from you.